Hi, Buddhist Geeks. This is Emily Horn, and I'm here today with Joanna Hardy. And I'm really excited about being able to um, speak with Joanna today and then share this with you all. She's been a Dharma sister for many years now, and we're in the same lineage, so to speak. And I look forward to um, exploring that a little bit with you all here with her today. So we studied in the insight meditation tradition, and she's a teacher, authorized teacher in that tradition. She teaches at Spirit Rock, Insight Meditation Society, and then she has um, her own thing called Meditation Coalition, which we will get into as well. So welcome, Joanna. Hi. It's good to have you here. Yeah, have you here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I wanted to start just with a little bit about how we met, because for some, you know, magical reason, you know, we can make up a million reasons about things. Our path started, how long ago was that? 10 years ago now? Probably about 10 years ago. Yeah. That sounds about right. And yeah. we met in an auspicious kind of situation. At least that's the way that it felt for me because we were at a, um, a local Dharma teachers gathering in LA and Ken McLeod. And there were several Dharma teachers there and I hadn't met you yet. And at that particular gathering, I was working in my personal practice with embodiment. I've been working on it for a long time now, still working on it. Um, and at that particular time, Ken McLeod was really trying to point to what it felt like when we were really, really present in our bodies and how that stability and that calm steadiness of heart and mind can empower us to be able to move in the moment in a different way. And I wasn't really understanding what he was grokking and what he was trying to explain on a experiential level. So he decided that he was going to do a ceremony in the backyard. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I hadn't ever met you. And he's like, Emily, grab a sword. And this sword was literally like a samurai sword. It was huge and heavy. And we went to the backyard. There was Vince was there, my husband Vince, and Matthew Brunsilver, and you, and then Ken McLeod is whom I remember. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because Matthew Brunsilver and you both ended up being in our teacher training, the Spirit Rock teacher training that we um, did together. So I didn't know this at the time. This was going to appear later in my life. So our first initial was in the backyard with this big sword <laughs> and the ceremony that Ken McLeod was putting on. And he handed you the sword first, from what I remember correctly. It's this right? Yeah. yeah, he handed you the sword. Mm -hmm. And then he made it into the ceremony thing where you were supposed to hand me the sword and you handed me the sword. And then I had to swing it. And it was heavy. It was really <laughs> heavy. And I remember swinging it and like falling a little bit to the side and then swinging it again and falling to the side. But the whole time that I was doing this, like you were standing and just watching me and your presence and the way that this was all happening, it was like you knew how to be there. You really knew how to be there. And it was like sister to sister. And I just felt that so strongly from you. And I didn't even know how to put words on it until probably about a year later when we ended up in this teacher training together. <laughs> And we ended up assigned to the same room, sleeping across from each other. And I'm like, okay, what is this Dharma? <laughs> what is this Dharma? And Matthew Brunsilver, he was in the teacher training too. So he, so this whole like little karmic pod, and I know this is Buddhist terminology, um, you know, it's been very interesting between you and I. And I wanted to acknowledge that for everyone because lately for me, Dharma has taken on this um, mystery component, and 
the levels and the layers of connection when the Dharma shines through is just pretty, in some ways, magical. And I wanted to highlight that for everyone. So thank you for being a part of that. Mm, that sounds so good to rehear it again. Yeah. Backyard, that dark backyard underneath the stairs. <laughs> yeah. 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 And learning how to be present with each other in that moment. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So since then, though, you have gotten into all kinds of things. And one of your new projects, or I don't even know if you would frame it as a project, um, but one of your new endeavors is the Meditation Coalition. Mm-hmm. And I was really struck by coalition. Um, what, why did you choose, choose that? Yeah. Sadly, the Meditation Coalition came out of the disillusionment uh, and the dissolving of another um, sangha that I'd been a part of for 12 years against the stream. And a big part of what many of us realized with Against the Stream is we'd fallen into a pretty intense pattern um, that a lot of sanghas do where there's a founder and with that founder can come an intense imbalance of power. Um, And so we were really working on at Against the Stream with our founder's syndrome issues um, and really trying to create a true equity in um, the teachers council on the board and also within the people involved in the community. And it was, it was difficult. We had a really hard time because the, it was so deeply and structurally embedded this power imbalance that it really did take a lot of work, a Mm -hmm. lot of energy to effort into changing it. And it didn't work. It ended up um, backfiring on all of us. So the meditation coalition after, you know, after Against the Stream dissolved, first we, a lot of us Mm -hmm. had to mourn deeply because there was a lot of sadness and grief in this long time relationship with Sangha. But one thing I knew for sure was I really wanted to do my best to work on a structure that didn't have these power inequities, these power imbalances, um, and didn't have a quote unquote founder or guiding teacher or any kind of lead person, but that this group of people, teachers, facilitators, Sangha members, community members, other communities, other organizations could come together, do things together, and then kind of go apart, right? So kind of coming together for events, coming together for classes, using different locations, using different websites, using different network systems, using different mailing lists, and having sort of like these fingers, you know, I think of it sort of like as a dandelion where you just blow on it and all of the, these seeds are go out there. And so the co- the word coalition, from my best understanding, is where organizations, people, things come together for a specific moment and then they go apart and then they come back together in a different form, in a different way, and then they go apart. And so how we have sort of stated it is that we all have responsibility to the coalition. So anybody that's facilitating a group needs to make their own flyers, right? They need to find their own location. This location has to be accessible to all bodies. And these locations are all over the greater Los Angeles area so that there isn't the expectation that everybody comes to one central place. But we kind of have we go to the communities that we serve versus the communities having to come to us. So the coalition is really um, 
people are having to take deep responsibility for its survival and not looking towards one person or a group of people to guide them and lead them and tell them what to do. So that comes with its challenges, right? Because even though we ask for, you know, everyone's like, fuck the patriarchy, smash this, smash that. And it's like people say they want that, but then it's interesting when we actually offer it, then they say, okay, but how do we do it? (laughs) Right? Like, Uh (laughs) tell me what to do. Uh, I'll do it just, I'll do it every day. And it's, so it's like this interesting um, dichotomy where it's like, no, I'm not going to tell you what to do. We're not going to tell you what to do. We're going to do it together and Mm -hmm. we'll see how it goes. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that's what Meditation Coalition has been doing. We just had our year anniversary, which is very exciting. Just got our, you know, our 501c3 and our tax exemption. And so we're we're happening and, you know, we have continual, you know, about 12 classes a month, some monthly, some weekly, and it's, it's surviving. Um, We're not at a thrive yet, but we're definitely at a survive Mm -hmm. and doing well. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. I mean, I, I'm liking it. I'm appreciating it. I'm really appreciating watching the growth of people, um, other people that are involved in the coalition, you know, and then I also get really like controlling and disappointed and upset. And it's like, well, if I just did it, it would, you know, it would, but that's not the point. So there's a great learning curve in that for me too. Yeah. So it seems like this is a, it's, it's a collaboration and a network of different people that Mm -hmm. are aiming to offer you meditate, your meditation, mindfulness meditation, insight meditation. Is that how you frame yourself? We're Buddhist. We're Buddhist. Buddhist? Okay. Yeah. 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 So the core, like to be, to offer a meditation coalition offering, we're, we're, you know, insight Buddhist tradition, the facilitators, teachers, location must have, like I said, be accessible to all bodies and have the people have to have had some kind of training in, you know, white privilege and racism and gender inequality and, you know, heteronormative experiences and all of, you know, I could say all the words, but there ha- you have to have some training inclusion. And, and I know that's the kind of the next question. And, and I have some words to say about that. So those are really the, the two requirements is the accessibility and the inclusion and the, and yeah, the Buddhist. Yeah. And, it's, and you really are, because as you said before, you're coming from a place um, against the stream that did have a central head, head figure mm-hmm. and um, figurehead. And so it seems that you're also trying to reorder how, pa- like how we relate to power in general. Yes. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like, and, and through what you're saying is like, I can see it's like, yeah, just tell me what to do is like one of those ways where we slip back into like what's normal quote unquote normal yeah. in our society. And so here you're really going like here, you really are going against the stream in a, in a way <laughs> of like right. of trying to really, would you call it a balance of power or, or a reordering of how that power looks like within this organization? Cause I'm, I'm guessing that someone does take the lead sometimes and then another person might like, take the lead another time. Or is there any leader yeah, well, th- well, this is the experiment, you know. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Co- you know, myself and Mary Stancavage are the two like teacher. You know, we're the two most empowered, the longest, you know, teaching experience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and we're on the board. Um, so in that way, yes, we kind of take a lead, right? 
but with a lot of sensitivity to that power over dynamic. That's what it sounds like to me, that that's not what you want to just stay in all the time. Right, for sure. And because, so how it works is there's all these other classes going around all over LA. We're not the only ones teaching them. Right. And so where the responsibility is, is that, like I said, they have to find their location. They make their own flyers. We were basically a bulletin board is what Meditation Coalition is, you know. And it's a form, it's a structure. So it's a holding of like-minded right. people. Right. right. And it's a place for people to go to find something that they're exactly to find mm-hmm. other like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And I like how you said that like part of what's happening out of this is that you're taking it to people instead of, you know, I know I've lived in LA, like I know what it's like to get from the, even the East side to the West side. Like it's right. So somebody is holding classes on the West side. There's a few East LA classes. I'm doing one downtown now. There's something going on in Riverside. There's something going on in the valley, you know, so we have things all over, mm-hmm. you know, and hoping to, hoping to get more. So then again, it's not so centralized. Yeah. So yeah. are you finding that supports? Cause I know we're going to move into inclusion. Cause I really am curious about what you have to mm-hmm. say. And it sounds like you are, you know, making those efforts in the coalition to be inclusive. Do you find that that helps with inclusivity to have the, um, it built into the form and the structure of the organization to go to where there's need? Absolutely. Because, you know, the word, even that word inclusivity, I, I struggle with it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because that means that someone is saying, I'm including you. Mm. And and that in and of itself. Oh, because there's like an, I, like that I'm the inclusive yeah. one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Like I'm the one, I'm the one who holds, you know, the control or the dominance. Uh-huh. Um, that's and you're, I'm including you in my thing. Whoa, right? That's interesting. Yeah. And so that in and of itself, what's beautiful. So for instance, we have a, a women of color practice group, you know, that's run by some of the POC facilitator, female facilitators, and they're in the South LA area. And some of the women that go to that group have never, ever been to for instance, the Valley Group, or have never heard of Joanna Hardy, or have never heard of Mary Sankovich, or some of the other people, right? And so their group is their group, but they're part of a greater network that gives them access. So for instance, we'll have a flyer out for maybe one of my day-longs at that group that I don't typically teach. And they're like, oh, there's something in downtown LA I can go to, right? So there's this network that can happen that ends up because they're in their own neighborhood, but then they might be able to want to check out what's going on elsewhere or meet other teachers, meet other practitioners that aren't in their neighborhood. Yeah. Cause it sounds like, I mean, we do want to foster your local community and then a wider community and then global community. I mean, there's so many different layers of what that could look like. Right. And as we know, you know, this women's group is 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And so it's like nobody's going to drive an hour to go do that. So to have it, you know, within a quarter mile of their home yeah. really supports people's practice. That's how we can support people's practice yeah. is by giving access. Mm-hmm. And especially when we're looking at sort of like dominant culture access, you know, to ask everybody yeah. to go to a quote unquote like nice white upper middle class neighborhood. Not not everyone feels welcome, safe, interested, you know, can get there. Um, 
maybe the transportation doesn't get them there. So this way, you know, if we're in different spaces that um, people can get to, like I said, again, we're interested in supporting the communities that we're serving and them getting to grow in their practice. And a practice in one neighborhood might look really different than in another neighborhood. Yeah, that's I mean, that's so true. And and to me, it's it's also highlighting, it seems like part of the dominant culture is to have the answers and then this is the way it's supposed to look. And so I'm going to go over there and do it and not even ask questions or not even see what's needed. And And this is like, because it's coming from within the communities and various places, it seems to, mm-hmm. you know, you've already got it tailored, so to speak. You don't even have to worry about all these questions that sometimes people ask. <laughs> it's like, right. you don't have to tailor it to anybody right. or, you know, it's like it's um, evolving and it's growing naturally from where it, where it is. And yeah. So it's, it's actually quite beautiful. And, you know, it's hard. We're, we're trying to build our technology where, you know, so-and-so can then learn about such and such over here and over there and over there and over there. So we're working on it, you know, through our newsletters and through our website and through social media. But it's so far so good. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's we're not great. making any money. So- <laughs> that's that's our next project. Because another thing we're doing is we're, we are Donna-based, right? So we the classes are free to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and whoever the facilitators are, they pay the location fee and then keep their Donna. So it's really, you know, so far it's a machine that's working with no funding. So we'll see where that goes. But um, yeah, so that may be another um, step for you is to right is to grow it in that way, mm-hmm. which that that can be interesting to 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 find a way that you know it can be abundant and uh, freely offered. And, right. Um, yeah, that's that right. that'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. how that evolves. Um, you mentioned that, you know, and something that you definitely, it just hit me is like, you know, to even say inclusive as part of, it could be perceived and could be, the impact of that could be that it's a dominant culture thing is to focus on that so much and use that terminology. What, what are you seeing and what are you learning with your work? Like right now, what could people be keeping in mind that, um, is important and in, in practice? And in creating the space where people from all different kinds of backgrounds are welcome. I definitely, everybody doing their individual work. One of the things I'm seeing that's so beautiful is I've had this um, POC, we call it POC and ally group, just for lack of better terms, because it's not perfect, but it's what it's been for five years. The white allies... um, are doing their own separate, really deep, good work. And so when this group happens, the POC and allies, it's usually the topics are usually around racial issues. And it's been so beautiful to see this thing happen where because the white allies are doing their work and because the POC practitioners are doing their work, the respect that happens when we come and sit together in a room and the listening mm-hmm. that happens and the care that happens is very profound. So one of the things I think is to not expect somebody else to do the work for them, right? So oftentimes people can come together in a what you know what we would call a more diverse or you know inclusive space and think that oh I'm going to learn something by being here by listening to those people right? They're going to teach me something. And so one of the things I think is so powerful and important is no, 
No, <laughs> we each have to do our work, come with our own personal responsibility, know how to hold ourselves in spaces when we're in, in mixed community, right? And that could be any mixed community. It doesn't mean it can be, you know, mixed genders. It could be mixed um, bodily abilities. It can be whatever. It could be mixed ages. It can be like doing our own work to see each other, to learn about ourselves, to learn about and to say the other is huge because that means everybody, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah, big, it's a big thing. It's yeah, a really it's a big, big thing. Other. And so, you know, one of my big things lately is really learning about, you know, ability and even working mm. in a space that doesn't have a sound system is excluding people, right? It immediately excludes mm -hmm. somebody yeah. and it immediately puts somebody in the position to have to say, I'm there's something about me that doesn't work in this space, you know? And so from the smallest thing, what was it the other day? One of the spaces I use only has one bathroom. And it's like, and we had a, a group of, you know, 65 people. So, you know, those kind of things, it's like really opening our eyes to, to everybody. And it's, it's, so it's a big call. And that's why I love doing the, the, race and social justice work combined with the internal insight work and the personal work because getting out of balance is what is creating a lot of issues. So that's one of the biggest things I'm learning is really yeah. just like people yeah. have to keep doing their work and can't expect others to do it for them. The other, I mean, I have to say is just continually reading and studying um, what we know of the suttas and what we know of the early Buddhist teachings is so much of what we're talking about now is in there. And the re one of the reasons why we as Meditation Coalition want to stay Buddhist is because there's plenty of mindfulness stuff. I mean, there's plenty of that. There's not plenty of Buddhist stuff. There are certainly some amazing people doing amazing work, but I feel we feel committed to really staying there. And there, so we don't need to get into psychology. We don't need to get into a whole bunch of other stuff, neuroscience and all that. It just feels like there's such a treasure trove still in the Buddhist teachings. And so it, it, even in and around what we're calling inclusion, you know, or non-exclusion might be a better way to say it. Yeah. And then just really paying attention to who's controlling the room really watching the energy as a, as a good teacher or facilitator, important to know who's always talking, who's taking up space, who's putting themselves in the power position in the knowing position in the knowing space. And so whether that's a who as in one person, or that's a who as in a sangha or an organization or a teacher or whatever, but the more studying Awakening, like this is like that idea of true awakening is such a broad, wide thing. You know, I'm not talking about awakening right now as in personal awakening. I think I've shared this with you. I've been lately talking about being the Bodhi Hunt or the Arasattva, you know, sort of like combining like the Arahant as the individual awakening and then the Bodhisattva as the collective awakening and just kind of melding those words together. <laughs> and is how I'm learning Buddha Dharma and teaching Buddha Dharma and sharing Buddha Dharma is, you know, very collective. 
and again, you know, co a coalition. Um, and as we know, everybody we come into contact with, if we're awake enough and really paying attention, we're going to learn something. Whether we agree with them or not, if we're paying attention, we're going to learn something. Yeah. And I would, I would add to that, like if we're, and like you said, if we're willing to do our own work, then we'll be able to transform some of these limiting power structures and beliefs mm -hmm. that just don't work anymore. They're just not working anymore. Yeah. If they ever did work, <laughs> that could be, right. that could, that could even be a, you know, a question in itself. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is like, it sounds like, you know, the work that you're doing, um, it's, it is where the Dharma meets life. <laughs> it's like, it's mm -hmm. messy, it's complicated. And, you know, when you're talking about abilities and race and gender and all these different categories that we tend to put people into, um, then, you know, those are important. And, you know, we can have these profound, you know, universal experiences, but how do we come back into life together? You know, when, you know, my son wants to paint his toenails and I'm like, <gasps> <laughs> and then I watch myself go, <gasps> and I'm like, well, wait a minute, right. you know, that's not where I, what, am, what's, what is that about? You know, and now he's got rainbow, all kinds of glittery toenails, you know, running around, but, I, but it, but it was like, I did have to go through this process of like seeing that and like being with the fear and then seeing what I was making that fear all about and then being like you know like just paint the toenails like it's all right so yeah yeah hmm. yeah no that's <laughs> um what I want to ask you all kinds of questions about Xander my son it was so beautiful because I actually he used to wear bikinis and ball gowns and of course painted the toenails and colored the hair and all kinds of beautiful things yeah it, it, it yeah so it's it, it's it's amazing like what you know you know humans we're so expressive and you know i have the the intention the strong intention and dedication to uh, be able to support people in whatever expression mm -hmm. yeah that is yeah so. beautiful thank yeah thank you so much for sharing you know your wisdom and your learning and and um what you're up to with us yeah today. no my pleasure it's been, a, it's been a joy yeah, my pleasure yeah, thank you thanks so for much. caring yeah because yeah. that's the thing is the more we can talk about it um the more people that are in the conversation and interested and sharing and mm -hmm. the better we're all going to be and you know and it's a sticky edgy topic oftentimes for practitioners because a lot of times people feel like oh i just want to get away from this this is why i'm going on retreat this is why i'm sitting silently in my room i want to take a break. I want to get away from it. But as we know, that's impossible. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.